uh, people uh, that are connected with Briarcrest. Let, let me just give you the 30-second uh, promotion or the 30-second alum, the, uh, the advertisement, really. At Briarcrest uh, College and Seminary is the, the, the partnership of three Christ-centered, Bible-anchored, ministry-focused schools. And we thrive in this dynamic, uh, spiritually alive community of a high school, college, seminary. And our vision, really, for all three schools is to provide an education that disciples. And I will just say this to you, and I, I expect that many have heard this statistic already. But we know that two-thirds of our emerging adults, as they finish high school and move into the next season of life, two-thirds will leave the church. And half of that number will completely abandon their faith. We have some challenging uh, times before us. And so that's concerning. Now, as studies have been done on those who retain their faith, we know that one of the reasons that help them retain their faith is when they spend even as, even as little as a year in a discipleship context like a short-term mission or in a place like a PRBI or Briarcrest. And so just to encourage parents to be ever so thoughtful as you're preparing your, your young adults for the next season of life. Well, a number of years ago, I uh, was, was sitting in a session not like, unlike this, and the speaker just said rather matter-of-factly, people do what they want to do. And somehow, you know, it's one of those times you have sort of an epiphany, and it was like, it struck me. It's true. I mean, it's, I, I, it's kind of brain-dead obvious, but it's true. People do what they want to do. And, and then Selena Gomez sings, you know, the heart wants what it wants. Uh, she's quoting Emily Dickinson, by the way, but wow, you know what? That, like, you and I, we do what we want to do. And there are times where we've got God's will in front of us, and we, we know what we should do. And there are times we've got data, information, you know, telling us to do something. And, and, and sometimes we'll have friends and family saying, don't do this, don't do, do this. And we kind of go, yeah, you know, I want to do this. So I will do this. And the cultural context that we find ourselves living in, to the societal context that we're living in today, is one that says, you be whatever you want to be. Your personal regency, your autonomy, is more important than anything. You, you be and do, you follow your truth. You be your own truth. And we keep hearing that and hearing that and hearing that, and we believe it, societally and culturally. And our children are hearing that all the time. And I want, to, I want us to think a little bit about that. What, 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 are we going, what, what will shape the decisions we make with our lives? Do we follow our truth? Do we just do what we want to do? Do we just, you know, the heart wants what it wants? Is, is that the way we're going to make the decisions in our life? And so this morning I want us to turn to a passage... Uh, for seasoned believers, it's a well-known passage, but it's a short passage where Jesus asks us powerfully significant and relevant question from Luke chapter 6, verse 46 to the end of the chapter. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Well, we could stop right there and spend the rest of our time just exploring that, but let's read on because he, he gives a quick story, a little episode, a little, little vignette. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will tell you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against that house, 
and could not shake it because it had been well built. But, you know, by way of contrast, but the one who hears and does not do them is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. Matthew's account says sand. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Here in this little story, Jesus talks about two people. There's some common elements between these people, and there's some distinguishing elements, some contrasting elements. So here we've got two people. They both have the same teacher. They both went to the same school. They went to the same church. They were in the same small group. They, just, they, heard, they all had the same content. Okay? They've got the same information. Okay? And with both of these individuals... They're trying to build a house. They have a vision to build a house. And of course, Jesus is getting at something larger than building a house. But for now, they're, all, they're both building a house. And they're, they're all the implications attached to building that house. They want to build a life. And it's, it's human to, to want to build something that lasts. Something with some sort of legacy. Something that, that is going to endure going to allow their name to continue, whether it's, whether it's through the things that are accomplished or through relationships, but, but somehow they want something enduring. So here, these both individuals are building a house, building a life, okay? But here, these two individuals also both encounter the same turbulence of life. Pounding rain, rising floodwaters. And so bo- both these individuals suffered economically challenging times, Both of them suffered inflationary times. Both of them had some health issues. Both of them had some relational conflicts along the way. Both of them had some disappointments. So here, two individuals, a lot alike. But then Jesus draws some significant contrasts between the two. He calls one wise and one a fool. He says one who came to small group listened and the other one didn't. And he says, one determined that they were going to build a house and build it on the foundation of rock, and the other and thought better, thought they're going to build this foundation without a foundation and build it on, build it on sand. And then when the storms came and the floodwaters rose and the rain was pounding on them, for the one who built their house on a rock, it endured. It was resilient and responsive. And the other, complete implosion of their house and implication of their life. Because what Jesus is getting at is, let's talk about building a life. Not just a house, but a life. A vision for your life. And here Jesus is asking the question of you and I through this story, why? Why do you call me master, master twice, and not hear what I'm saying. And of course, he's speaking about hearing not just a sense of there's auditory reception, but rather, how come it's not registering? Why is there no application? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? In other words, what are you building your life on? What's the structural integrity that you're building your life on? And I want us to walk around this story for a few minutes and draw out some application. Because one of the things he says here is that difficult times will reveal the character of your foundations. 
Now, tough times make us strong, but tough times are also like stress tests. They assess how strong we really are. And when this, these storms came, the stress test on the one measured strength and resilience and grit and a strong structural foundation to their lives. And the stress test on the other showed that there was no foundation. And it all came apart the seams. And challenging times will come. And when they come, they can make us stronger, but they also tell us something about what is already there. And some of us are ready. Some of us are not. There's a second thing we can emerge out of this passage. Don't build your foundation in a crisis. You know, when, when, the, when the floodwaters are rising, when the rain is pounding, that's not the time to, to develop a plan because then you're under stress. Then you're under pressure. Then you're having to react quickly. And that's when you need muscle memory. That's when you need to know, to know how you're going to respond under stress and in crisis. And that's why speaking to parents and to a church and to educators, why thinking things through thoughtfully, objectively, reasonably, carefully, when you have the time and opportunity to think through all the possible implications. That's why I'm such a believer in Christian education and, and, and the response we have on parents and upon churches and upon educators to build into our lives so that when the difficult times come, and they will, that there's resilience and strength. This is not the time in crisis to formulate a plan formulated ahead of time. But then there's another more fundamental message he's giving us here. And that is we need to build our foundation on the person and the teaching of Jesus. He says, why do you call me master, master, and not do what I say? To build our life on Jesus and on the things he says about life about relationships, about morality, about ethics, about absolutely everything. Now, this is going to sometimes fly in the face of our desires and our wants, and what the heart wants, right? Sometimes it's counterintuitive. I live in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and 15 Wing is just a few miles away from us. I know a number of pilots there. And they have to trust their instruments even though their emotions, their gut, their feelings, oh, I feel like I'm inverted. I feel like I'm, you know. And no, follow the instruments because if the weather is, is torrential and, and, and you're not able to see where you're going, you've got to follow those instruments. And there are times in life when we want to do something and counterintuitively, counterculturally, we've got to do what God invites us to do. But that is hard. And so my objective today to ask you, and to ask each of us, really, is, is what, what shapes your worldview? Does your life have structural integrity? Does it have a foundation? And, and what has created that foundation or that, their lack of? What shapes your thinking? What's, what's your truth? And that's the hip, you know, I want to live out my truth. So, so how do you think, and, and your thinking will determine your choices, and your choices will determine your behavior, and then, of course, that will result in feelings. What's shaping that? So, let's reflect a little bit about the world we live in, 
And certainly the umbrella over all of our thinking is we live in a world where there is no absolute truth. That's the postmodern mantra, okay? There's no absolute truth. Everything's relative. Everything's, everything's moving. Everything's socially constructed. There's nothing fixed. There's nothing absolute. There's nothing enduring. There's, nothing, there's no reality that's permanent. And, and that's the societal context in which we have been placed and which is largely held to certainly in Western context. So that, that's what we all live with. But then there's some more nuanced perspectives. The truth is determined by the individual. Protagoras taught this, that man is the measure of all things. You do what you want. And again, though we may not talk about Protagoras, this, this, is, this is what we live by, that you determine your truth. Another way is to say that the, the community, or rather the individual, then the community defines it. Not just the individual, but a community. Maybe it's a smaller tribe. Maybe it's a smaller group. Maybe it's a subgroup. When you think of gangs, they sometimes have their own codes of contact, their own modus operandi. They've got their own rules. And, and sometimes clubs and, 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 and ethnic groups and camps and, and, and political parties, they've got, they've got those rules of operation. And that defines your truth. For others, it might be culture. And that's what we, we, don't want to, we don't want to be out of step with culture. And let's just fit into this woke cultural context we find ourselves living in because we don't want to be standing out in any sort of way. Or maybe it's the situation. Let the situation define what we should determine. And, and this is back to the past century, but Joseph Fletcher and situational ethics. And he said, what's the greatest good for the greatest number of people? Or what's the most loving thing to do? Well, that sounds good, loving. And so, you know, what, what might be right in this situation might be wrong in another situation, might be right over here. And so, situationally, you assess and make your decision. And some of you, uh, you, you put your decision-making through that kind of a filter. For others, what feels good? Epicurus taught this. This is not new. The, the, all these thoughts are centuries old where philosophers have, have explored these. And Epicurus taught, he, he gave us a foundation to a hedonistic kind of expression. What's going to give me a buzz? What's going to give me an elixir? What's going to make me feel good amidst all the pain of life? And so, so this really is a foundation to, even in many ways, modern existentialism, right? So what, what makes me feel good? And then there's the view that truth is, is determined by moderation. Aristotle taught this. Just, you know, just don't be too extreme. Now, I don't know how many of you say, well, I employ an Aristotelian ethics, but, but here's what we say. Boys will be boys. Girls just want to have fun. And what are we saying in that? We're saying, well, you know what? Everybody's got to get a little bit crazy sometimes, so just don't get too crazy. But just, you know, you can push the envelope a little. We'll wink at it. We'll, we'll just swallow hard. It's, it's okay, because, you know, boys will be boys. Girls just want to... And, and so it's just moderation. And many of us think that way and live that way. Truth determined by the strong. Friedrich Nietzsche taught this. Might is right. The strong survive based on a humanistic Darwinian approach to, to human nature and to the human person and how, how the strong will survive and let's just accelerate the extermination of the weak. And of course, he was influential in shaping Nazis, the Nazi philosophy, the ideology. Now, there's not a one of us who would say, I embrace uh, 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 Nietzschean might is right philosophy. But here's what I do know about the human condition. Some of you are powerful people. Some of you have powerful personalities. Some of you have powerful statures. 
And some of you have resources, money. Some of you have name. Some of you have positions of power. And you've learned how to use these to get your way in inappropriate ways sometimes. And so again, th- these are just ways and these are thought processes and these are, these are filters that shape our thinking and they determine our decisions and then our behavior and then ultimately our feelings. I- I- is, this, is this how we build a worldview? Is this how we develop structural integrity? Is this building our lives on a rock? Maybe truth is determined by God, and that's what Jesus was saying. Truth emanates from me. Because Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. No one experiences the abundant life in all of its fullness and all of its richness apart from me. So when you think through the biblical teachings on truth, this is what we find. Truth is an expression of the very nature of God because truth is ultimate reality and Jesus is ultimate reality. And truth has been revealed to to humanity and thus it can be known. God, by definition, is a relational being. He has personality. He is a person, actually three persons, one God. He is an eternal relational being. And when he created human beings in his image, one of those factors, one of those qualities was that we have personality. And he wants to have a relationship with us. And so it's entirely not only plausible, but reasonable to expect that a God who has relationship as a part of his essence would want to know and be known. So he revealed himself to us. And he revealed himself to us in nature, in our conscience, through sending us prophets and teachers, ultimately through God's recorded word, and finally, and we're going to celebrate this in just a few weeks, the incarnation, the sending of his son Jesus, because God wants to be known. So he shares himself with us, and he shares truth with us so that we might know truth. And so truth here, it's for our benefit. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's for our good. I love 1 John 5, where it's talking about the commandments of God. And it says, rather matter of fact, and his commandments are not burdensome. Sometimes we have this idea that God is just, you know, everybody else is having fun out there. You know, we've got all these rules. Everything, everything God has told us to live by are for our good and for our benefit. Because he is the architect of our lives. He is the architect of relationships. He is the architect of community. He's the designer. And when we follow his way, it works better. We still have to live with the brokenness of our context. But we live better. We feel better. We think better. We we decide better. And so truth is for our benefit sets it free. Truth has been given to human beings who are made in the image of God. Humans, don't ever lose sight of this. Humans are moral creatures. The anthropology of our day says that we are simply higher forms of life. Sophisticated, mind you. But that's all. And truth has been given to moral beings who need to make moral choices. And then lastly, truth has been given to us in the Scriptures and have application, endearing application for all people, all generations, and all contexts. So what was true a thousand years ago is true today. 
And what was true in Europe 500 years ago is true in Grand Prairie today. That's the nature of truth. And so society can change and culture can change, but truth is fixed. It's ultimate reality. It's permanent. And Jesus embodies it. And so what we talked about yesterday with parents is how do we, how do we have a, a, a biblical worldview and how do we translate that to our children? And so I just want to invite you just a few minutes here. Worldview, worldview is how you think about our world. How you, how you, how you, what you see and what you hear. And, and for, for us to objectively say and evaluate, what do I see in here? And, and what's the filter I put it through? And what are the decisions I'm making? And how is it shaping my behavior? Because ultimately, Jesus' appeal is build your life upon me and upon my teaching, upon the foundational truths of the Word of God, and not upon the sand which shifts like culture shifts, like communities shift, like individuals' palates shift. Build it upon the rock. This is his appeal to us today. Now, here's what I want to leave you with. I'm, I'm no prophet. Don't claim to be a prophet. But when I look at the future, and I look at what we've just come out of, here's the sobering reality. We've, we've just emerged out of a pandemic. We hope it's over. We hope all the insanity attached to it, all the pain, and all the, the, the tragedy attached to it is over. But through that time, and this is an apolitical statement, but through that time, we didn't fare well. I, I visit a lot of churches. Most churches are 20 to 30 percent down. Waybase, a Christian organization who assesses data, church data, Christian data, organizational data, they're telling us the last 10 years, beyond that number, the church is down by another 10 percent. The church around the world has some pockets of tremendous thriving, but in Western contexts, we're struggling. Christian education is, is struggling. And here's the prophetic part. Storms are coming. I don't know what they'll be, but storms will come because that's the nature of our fallen world. And when those storms come. We need a structural integrity. We, we, we need a worldview, and, and we need to build a life upon the rock of truth embodied in Jesus and in his teachings, rather than on sand. That's our mandate. That's our mission. That's our calling. And we have the Lord Jesus to make it so. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word which is live. And thank you for Jesus who is the embodiment of absolute truth. Father, would you give us the objectivity and the courage and the wisdom and the discipline to assess what our worldview really is and, and where some deceptions have been embraced where cultural pressure or community pressure or, or, or academic pressure or, or where, where we've been influenced to make decisions based on anything other than building our life upon you. Father, would you forgive us 
and would you replace that with truth and give us the courage to live by it such that when those storms come, we'll stand. And this can be made so because of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray, amen.